things moved around here. I appreciate uh, Justin being patient with me and uh, getting over some illness. Uh, by God's grace, I'm over it now fully, uh, as much as a 70-year-old can be over it, uh, but that's uh, pretty good. So it's uh, good to be with you finally. Uh, supposed to be here two weeks ago, and then last week, and then, you know, finally made it this week. So we'll trust that God's timing is right and good, and uh, we... Uh, don't always understand what he's doing, but we do understand that he what he is doing is good. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, let's go to the Father and ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we have been singing to you and about you. Thank you for music. Thank you for uh, thank you for music that's been around a while. Uh, it stirs good memories. It stirs. Uh, Ebenezer's, if you will, uh, Lord, that you of what you have done. So thank you for that. Thank you for uh, uh, John and Ellen leading us this morning. And uh, we ask, Father, that you would take this time of music and time of reflecting upon you and, and what you have done, and you would prepare us to hear what you're going to be saying to us through this portion of your word this morning. We trust that in your timing and in your sovereign plan that this is what you wanted preached this morning in this place. And so, Father, uh, give us ears to listen. Give us uh, hearts that are open to what you're going to say to us. And just now in the quietness of this moment, if you would, just silently in your own heart, just say a prayer for someone sitting around you that needs to hear God's word. Maybe even someone that's not even here this morning that's, that is somewhere else. But just lift someone else up in the quietness of your heart that God would speak to them this morning. And then again in the quietness of your heart, just ask the Father to speak to you. He would take his word and just shape it and, and highlight it in such a way that you would hear his voice speaking to you. And then if you would, again, in the quietness of your heart, just say a prayer for me that I would simply be God's conduit, God's tool uh, to open his word so that we could hear what he is saying to us. So, Father, we trust you, that you are at work through Jesus. Amen. It's very interesting how God made us. The uh, song we just got through singing, He Touched Me, uh, that relates to one of the ways that God gave us a tool to be able to communicate with our world and with other people. You know, we have the senses, we have sight, we see each other, uh, and we hear each other. Uh, you know, all these different things that, that God gave us to, to get input into our brains so that we can relate to what's going on. And one of the senses that he's given us that is very, very personal is touch. It's fascinating how incredibly sensitive 
that is in our lives. I know uh, when I make my coffee in the morning or I get it set up at night for in the morning and just punch a button to get it going, I'll get those filters out. And those filters are probably, what, one hundredth of an inch thick. But I can tell if I have two filters there. And that amazes me that how, how can I tell that amount of difference? That's just fascinating, This, the touch that God gave us so that we can relate to our world. And, and, and it's a part of how we relate to each other. You know, one of the tragedies of COVID, not just the health stuff, but we couldn't touch each other. We wanted to come and hug each other. And, and we would, you know, that, that, and we didn't know what to do. We didn't, you know, shake hands and then have a san, sanitizer right there. Why, you know, it was very frustrating uh, because touch is so personal, but it's so important. So that song, He Touched Me. Obviously, it's not just that physical touch, but it's that it, it's a, an image. It's a picture of God stepping in and doing something in our life that's very personal, very hands-on, if you will. Not just a, I know something, I see something, I hear something, but no, no, I, I, I feel something. Something happened here. He touched me. The portion of Mark we're going to look at this morning, and we've been going through the book of Mark somewhat unsystematically because we were supposed to look at this passage two weeks ago, so we have to kind of jump back. It's chapter 5, if you will, chapter 5, the book of Mark. So get your Bibles open there. That's what we're going to be looking at. So give you a moment to find there, Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21 in a moment when we start reading. Mark chapter 5, give you a, a moment, because I, I really want you to have, if at all possible, God's Word open in front of you, or if you pull it up on your iPad or whatever it might be, that's fine. But I want you to see God's Word as well as hear God's Word. And I even like to touch, <laughs> to touch God's Word. That's why I like to use a, you know, you can touch it on a screen as well, but still, that, that touch is, is something there. But I want you to see it for yourself. Uh, because this is what's important. This is, this is what I want you to see. What we need to see this morning is what God has to say to us. And in this passage, we're going to see touch being particularly highlighted. Now, this passage has got, is very similar to what Justin has pointed out, that Mark, in the way he presents the gospel, presents the story of Jesus, the gospel, he frequently will have a story, you might say, that has two parts to it, a beginning, a middle, and then go back to the first story, a sandwich kind of structure where you have A and then B and then you have A part two. Well, that's exactly what happens in this passage this morning, starting in verse 21, going down to the end of the chapter. We're going to see a story start, then we're going to see a kind of an interruption, you might say, to a different story, then go back to that original story. And it's fascinating that God in his sovereignty had these two stories come together. And Mark not only saw this, uh, well, he probably heard it from Peter. Uh, he may have seen it as well. We're not sure. But for sure, Peter saw it. And for sure, Mark got his word from Peter. They not only saw that, but he said as he began to record it, he put these two stories together. And we're going to see that these stories are not two separate stories at all. They are linked together in many, many ways. Now, how do we know that? Well, in the moment as we were going to, we're going to read through it, I want you to observe 
the number of similarities. We're going to see, well, just a couple of examples so that you'll kind of know what to look for. We're going to see a woman healed and a girl raised from the dead. Two women, both touched by Jesus. We're going to see that. We're going to see people falling down at Jesus' feet in both cases. We're going to see people responding to what's going on. But not just the similarity, there's also some contrasts. But through these similarities and contrasts, Mark and God are putting these two stories together to say, I've got a message that I want to get across to you, but it's going to come through this combining of these two stories. So let's read it together. And as we read it, I want you to be listening for and looking for what's similar and what's different. Then after we do that, we're going to step back and say, all right, what is this passage teaching us? What what are we getting from these similarities and these contrasts? So here we go. Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so she will get well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? Uh, And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. And she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John and the brother, of James, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official. They saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. He entered in and said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. Putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. 
And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So he's got these two stories that are twisted together, you might say. And and there's just a a lot of comparisons. And and I just want to highlight some of these here for you that, that um, that Mark highlights for us these different things that, uh, that are similar and different. And I thought I had a list here. Maybe I don't. That's all right. I don't need a list. I can see it right there in front of me. I, there, how about that? I really don't have it somewhere. Anyway, we'll, we'll just we'll run with it. We don't need it. Uh, okay, first I'll notice, here's one of the, 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 sim, the differences. You've got a synagogue official, Okay. This is a, a, like a, um, it would be difficult to, to give a, a, a one-to-one comparison to our culture. Uh, it would be some like a staff member of a church, but not exactly like that. But someone that is renowned, someone that has responsibility, someone that's highly respected, someone that probably worships the temple. Then you've got this woman who is, has this hemorrhage, this, this bleeding, which would make her impure, which would make her unable to go and worship. So you've got almost two, two contrasting people here, the synagogue official and this woman that's got this health issue. So there we've got this contrast, and yet they both come up. Did you notice they both come in? One came up to him and fell at his feet. The woman, after she was healed, fell at his feet. So we've got that similarity. Did you notice also Jesus called the, little, the woman daughter, and the, Jairus talked about his daughter. You've got the 12 years of her being sick. You've got the daughter being 12 years old. You've got all these these interesting similarities here. Uh, You've got uh, a a group of people that are pressing in on Jesus, and there's all these people around him. You've got this this group pressing in on him uh, in one situation, and in the other situation he says, no, I want you to stay away. I'm just going to have this small group with me. So you've got these contrasts and similarities, and we could just go on and on. There's so many here that, uh, that it's clearly linking these two together. So now, what do we do with these things? Well, that's where your notes come in. You, they were passed out to you there. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice is that Before we get into the contrast here, there's a a little phrase here that I want to highlight. It's fascinating, a phrase. It's it's something that happens here that gives us some insight into who Jesus is and who the Trinity is and who God is. Did you notice when the woman came up to reach out and touch Jesus' garment, she was healed, and it says there in uh, verse 30, immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around and said to the crowd, who touched me? And you go, wait, it's almost like the woman came up and touched Jesus' garment and God the Father decided to heal that woman and so he did that through Jesus and Jesus sensed the power coming out of him to heal that woman 
But it's like Jesus did not make a decision to heal that woman. It was this passive act of his. The father just did it almost independently from him. And we go, that, that's, that's kind of strange. That, but what that tells us is there's something very unique and very important about the relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That, yes, they are one, and yet even here we see them operating independently. This is absolutely crucial because when Christ died on the cross, well, did God die? Well, in a sense, he did, but no, in a sense, no, he didn't. God the Father did not. God the Son did. God the Spirit was there, but only God the Son died. And we go, wait, how can they be one and yet be independent? How can they be one and and yet be independent like this that Jesus almost didn't even know that it happened until it happened? It was like, oh, that's because of that unique relationship between God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit. And it's so, so important in our understanding, in our, our theology that God died for us, and yet how can God die? And we go, I don't understand. That's okay. But at least we understand that it was necessary that, that this happened, that there's this, this structure between the, in the Trinity that somehow they're united and yet they're independent. And that's how we can have our salvation. That's how we can say, yes, Jesus was God and Jesus died for me and his death is so significant that it can give me salvation 2,000 years after he did that. See, if he was just a man dying but that's, that's terrible, I mean, but we all die. But he wasn't just a man dying. He was God dying. So this little incident here gives us some insight into that relationship between God the Father and God the Son that, that other passages don't see, that don't give us that. But now, back to what we learn from these contrasts and these similarities. The first thing you have there is that the power, excuse me, the powerful work of God in our lives is active and yet passive. There's an active sense that we go to God and say, God, we need you, and yet there's also a passive sense. When the, uh, the synagogue ruler went up, he was seeking Jesus. But when the girl was healed, his daughter was healed, she was completely passive. There was nothing she could do. When the woman came up to, the, to Jesus, she sought him out. She was active. She was going towards him. She sought him out. She did the touching. But when the girl was healed, Jesus did the touching. He lifts her by the hand. Mark makes a point of that. So we've got the woman touching Jesus. We've got Jesus touching the girl. There's an active, there's a passive part in receiving God's power. Now, This morning when we talk about Jesus touching us, Jesus' power coming to us, you know, there's some different different reactions. Uh, One is, I I need the touch of Jesus. I really do. I need him to to encourage me. I need him to to do something in my life that I, I, I need that. Well, That's that active part. That's that, yes, I I want that. Yes, I need that. But then 
there's a passive part that sometimes we don't even know that we need God's power. We don't even know that we need Jesus to touch us. We're not aware of, of the fact that he needs to come into our lives. And there's this passive part to it that we just sit back and, and it's almost like there's, there's nothing we can do. And yet there's a combination there. He's never going to force himself on us. So there's always an active part to it. And yet it's not just us, it's his work. There also has to be this passive part where he does it to us, that it comes upon us. And so this, these, putting these two stories together helps us see that God's power at work in our lives is both us exercising our will and us receiving God's sovereign plan that he has for us. An active and yet a passive part to it. They go together. And somehow it's not just, okay, God, you're going to do it, and there's nothing I can do, and I'm just going to sit here and let it happen to me. That's that, okay? There's nothing, that, you know. It, nor is it, I'm going to do it all, God, and if you'll just kind of step out of the way, I'll get it done. No, it's both. It's, it's, it's active, and yet it's passive. And that's what he's trying to show us in this story about God's touch, God's power in our life comes with us exercising our will, and with us simply receiving God's wonderful good plan that he has for us, a passive part to it. So an active and yet a passive part to receiving God's wonderful power, God's, God's touch. Now, there's another contrast, another similarity that brings something out here. It's the second thing here. We should be astounded at the powerful work of God. We should be astounded when we see God's touch in people's lives. That's fascinating here. All kinds of different reactions here. Uh, the uh, Jairus, when he first comes up, he falls at his feet there in verse 22. He, he's falling at Jesus' feet out of respect for him, out of, uh, you are the rabbi, you are the powerful one, you are the one who can heal my daughter, I'm going to fall at your feet. So we see this response uh, of him falling at his feet. And then the lady, when she comes up and touches his garment, and then Jesus turns around and sees that she's the one that touched him, she does the same thing. She falls down before him. So this deep respect, this, this humility before, before God, before Jesus, before God, you are the one that I am bowing before. Our culture, we don't do any bowing. Uh, and we probably shouldn't. Uh, you know, if, if you watch some of the, uh, the British films and such like that from centuries past, you see them, you know, bowing before lords and kings and stuff like that. We, we don't do that. Uh, well, a lot of different reasons. I'm not sure I want to bow before any person. But how can I not bow before God? I mean, he is so far greater than us. We even talked about this Trinity thing. That's just, his existence is different than ours. I, I, yeah, I, I need to bow before God. I, I, I need to do that. But not everybody in this story is bowing before him. Did you notice how they responded when he shows up and says, hey, she's not dead, she's only asleep, down in verse 40? They began laughing at him. Nah. Well, what do you, th- who do you think you are? She's, that's that. No, that shouldn't be our response. 
But the ending response should be our response. It was wonderful. After she comes back from the grave, immediately, this is verse 42, immediately they were completely astounded. Not just astounded, not just amazed, not just blown away, but completely astounded, completely amazed. That should be our response when God touches someone, when God touches us, when we see God's hand. The world that we live in is filled with God's touch. We assume that it will always happen. We assume we'll have air to breathe. We assume that the sun comes up. We assume that the trees grow. We assume that when we water our grass, it eventually will come back green. We assume that. But that's miraculous. That's in God's incredible creation. We should be continually astounded at just creation. Not to mention when he steps into our lives and takes someone that's filled with guilt, filled with sin, and transforms them. Take someone that has no hope and gives them hope. Take someone that is running away from him and says, let me touch you and come back to me. We should be astounded at that. We should be astounded when we see someone get baptized. We should be astounded when when we're going to hear a report about some children coming to faith this week. To say, wow, Lord, that is amazing that you've done that. We need to be astounded at the work of God in our lives. Astounded at God's touch. God's touch in our life. That should be our response. Now, one more here. We need to experience the, how do we experience the power of God? How do we experience God's touch? Both cases, the word faith, the word belief comes up. How do, we experience, how do we get God's touch? How do we get God's power? We've been talking about it. Well, what do we do? Well, look at what they did. Verse 34. And he said to her, Jesus is saying to the woman, your faith has made you well. Not your touching has made you well. Not your uh, desire, uh, but your faith, your trust in me has made you well. And then with, uh, the, with Jairus, with, with the synagogue official, when he says to her, hey, he says to him, we're going to go and, and see her. Don't be afraid. This is in verse uh, 36. But Jesus overhearing what was spoken, he said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. That word faith and believe, very same word in the language it was written in. For English, we have to have two different words. I wish we had the verb faithing, uh, but we don't. But that's that's the sense of it. It's both cases, Jesus is saying, you need to trust me. You need to trust what I'm doing and, and receive my touch. You need to believe in me. Part of what Mark is doing through his gospel is not just saying, here's what Jesus did. He's also saying, here's who Jesus is. And right here, he's making it very clear that Jesus is the one who can heal people. Jesus is the one who can raise them from the dead. Earlier in Mark, we saw this astounding thing. One of the first things he presented is that Jesus is one who can forgive sin. Well, who is this guy? He's got to be God's son. He's got to be God. Well, we can trust 
God. We can trust him that he's going to touch us in a way that that is right and appropriate for us. So Jesus wants to touch you this morning. Fascinating thing about touch. Very personal. He wants to be very personal with you this morning. He wants to touch you in a specific, concrete, personal way. And I have no idea what that is for each one of us. How could I? Because it's his touch in your life. Now, sometimes we're touched in a way that encourages us. I'll never forget, this happened my soul. My daughter's 41, so this happened like 42 years ago because it was before she was born. Had my wisdom teeth taken out, and I will never forget sitting there in the dentist chair, and before, you know, he, he hides that big needle kind of thing, you know, and he kind of pulls it out, you know. Uh, I'm glad they do. Uh, but I remember his assistant. She was standing there, and just before he, you know, he tried to admit some kind of thing, just before he stuck that old needle in there, she patted me on the shoulder like this. I'll never forget that because it just kind of calmed me down and encouraged me that, hey, it's going to be okay. That, that touch said so much to me and was so personal. I'm convinced that this morning God wants to encourage some of you. That his touch, this powerful God wants to come along and say, hey, it's been rough. It's been a hard couple of years or a couple of months or maybe even this past week, but I just want to encourage you. Keep trusting me. Keep following me. Keep doing what you know is right. It is hard. It's painful, but you just keep trusting me. I want to encourage you. Yes, it's going to be all right. It may not be like you want. It may be, and in fact, it will be different from what you planned, but, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm convinced that God's spirit is just touching some of you this morning. Uh, in fact, he touched me this way just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was thinking through some of the th- decisions I made as a senior pastor and had to do some, some personnel things that I had to deal with that were very pleasant and hurt some people that had to be done and all this kind of stuff. And I thought that through, if I should have done that, maybe I should. And then I thought, well, how about the stuff that was done to me, you know, by an elder board that wasn't necessarily what I thought. And I was trying to think all this through. If I'd done this, if I'd done that, should I have done this? And, and, and through reading God's word, specifically in Ecclesiastes, it was that like God said, Calvin, 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 calm down. You can't figure it out. Learn from it, yes, but you'll never figure all this stuff out because there's too many moving parts to it, but I got it under control. And he just kind of patted me on the shoulder and said, Calvin, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I've got it under control. But that's not the only kind of touching. Sometimes someone comes up behind us and taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, hey, you're, you're, you're not doing that right. You're... you're, you're uh, You've got the, the drill in the wrong way. I, I know with my grandson, I lo- love to get with him with a little screwdriver, a little power screwdriver, and he's like two and a half, three years old, and we'll sit there and drill screws in. You know, you know I've already pre-drilled them kind of thing. But he just loves that, except when he gets it, the, the little switch wrong and it's going the wrong way. He can't, you know, stuff go in. And I just reach over and tap him and say, look, flip it right there. And he says, ah, okay. Maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder this morning and saying, You need to change some stuff. You're not doing it the right way. 
you're not following my word. You're not plugged in like you need to be plugged in at the church. You're not doing what you need to be doing with your family. You're, 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 doing, you're working too much or whatever it might be. God's just tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, hey, you've got you to make some changes. And maybe, maybe God's touch of you this morning is even stronger than that. I had a big brother. He passed away about 10 years ago. But my brother Charlie and I were so very, very different, even in the way we woke up in the morning. I, for some reason, God gave me a, a spirit that, you know, I wake up in the morning, I get up, I'm ready to go. I, some, I rarely have to even have an alarm clock. My brother was completely different. I mean, you had to shake him sometime to get him awake. I mean, he'd just be sound asleep. The alarm goes off. He doesn't hear it. Charlie, wake up. Wake up. Maybe God's touch is like that for you this morning. God's saying, wake up. You've got to make some serious changes, and you know it. You know the road you're going down right now is wrong, and, and you've got to wake up and change. You can't keep doing what you're doing and running away from it. You've got to, cha- you've got to get plugged into the church. You've got to change the way you look at your family, whatever it might be, but God is, is shaking you, saying you've got to wake up. God wants to touch us this morning. He wants to touch you. He wants his power to be at work in you. Not not to just say, yeah, get out of the way and let me do what I think. No, no, this is for your good. This is for, for what is right and wonderful. His power is good for us. We sang about the goodness of God, and he is good, and his power wants to do wonderful things in your life. He wants to touch you. He wants his power to be at work in your life. There's a uh, an old poem that's been around for a good while. I first heard it back in the 50s and 60s, and uh, it was recorded by an old actor back then. It's been re-recorded by Wayne Watson and some other people. People have made films of it. It's a wonderful little old poem, kind of sweet, but, but it's got a great point to it. It's uh, about a... Uh, an estate sale where they're selling off, you know, various things, auctioning off. And then the last thing comes up, and it's the old dusty violin. And uh, it doesn't worth very much. And they start with, you know, maybe $1, 2 maybe 3 you know. And uh, they're about to, to sell it. And then a guy stands up in the back and comes forward and says, takes the violin, dusts it off, tunes it up, gets the bow just right. And begins to play just a beautiful song on it. And then the poem ends with this. The auctioneer stands up and says, Now, 1,000, 1,000, do I hear two? 2,000, who will make it three? 3,000 once, 3,000 twice, going and going gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply touch of the master's hand. God wants to touch you this morning. He really does. He wants to personally touch you. Maybe it is that encouragement to say, hey, keep going. Maybe it's that tap on the back that says, hey, you got change. Maybe it's wake up. Do what you need to do.
Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you want to touch us. Thank you that you want your power to be at work in us. And oh, Father, by the power of your spirit, Lord, and only you, only you can work in each one of our lives. Only you can, can personally touch each one of us. And so, Father, we pray that that would happen right now that people would reach out to you, that they would, would be active, and yet they would be passive and they would trust you to do something. Father, Father, for that one who is really hurting, oh God, let him feel your hand. Let him feel your hand and let him keep on following you, even in the face of pain and difficulty. Father, oh, Father, for the one that, that needs to make some changes, I God, empower them to do that. Thank you that you don't just touch us, but you empower us to make those changes. And, oh, God, for the one that needs to wake up, let him do that. Now, just now in the quietness of this moment with your head still bowed, we would love to talk to you about any of these things. Specifically, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, Oh, he's touching you this morning. But you've got to trust him. He won't save you if you don't let him save you. You've got to trust him as your savior. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. And we would love to talk to you about that. Maybe some other area. We're going to be singing a song here in a moment. And after we sing and close the service and the end, Justin and I will be standing around or others will be kind of mingling around. We would love to talk with you. So seek us out. So, Father, thank you that you have touched us this morning. Thank you for what you are going to be doing. And we look forward to being astounded by what you're going to be doing. All of this through Jesus. Amen. Ellen and John.